Well, good morning. Glad you're with us this morning. And as you've heard, we're just starting into a very brief snapshot uh, series looking at the book of Thessalonians, or at least the first chapter. We'll see where we get in that. It's filled with a whole lot of understanding of what does it mean to live this, this life that we're called to. And so as we look at it this morning, we're going to be looking at the impact of a transformed life. What does it mean? How, how are we to be changed? And so with that, I invite you to dive into the first chapter. We're going to read it together and just, uh, just draw out some things that, that God has for us this morning. It's written by Paul, Savanus, and, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full assurance. You know how we lived among you for your benefit, and you yourselves became imitators of us and of the Lord, when, in spite of severe persecution, you welcomed the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. As a result... You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we don't need to say anything, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you, how you turned to God from idols to serving the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let's just pray as we enter into God's word this morning. So, Lord, we we come to this. We come to this section of of what your word would teach. And we pray again that, that you would take us and you would allow us to see what the Holy Spirit wants to plant in our lives. Lord, that it may be something not that we just, again, gain knowledge, but that we gain you. We gain a greater sense of who you are to us. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, in a time long ago, long before things like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, there used to exist this strange thing called a letter. (laughs) And it's... Hard as it is to understand, people would take a pen, I'll explain that later, and they would make markings on a a paper, and they would send these jottings off to someone, and unbelievably, it would would take days to get there, and and even longer sometimes to get a reply back. I know, that's hard to comprehend, hard to believe. Believe, And today we receive sort of a trickle of these type of correspondence. But most, we just destined for the recycle bin. Like, we don't need a new roof, and our driveway has been resealed, and our gutters are fine, and we don't need, we'd be gone. And the decision to put those in the recycle bin, those are, those are easy. And then there's the correspondence you'd love to recycle, the ones that uh, you just don't want to open, the things like, 
you get from Revenue Canada or Visa or MasterCard, and you ignore those at your, your peril. They don't care about how you respond. They just want to make sure you do respond because that correspondence is different. And then there are those that are more friendly and more engaging. They, they come like, Dear Rob, it's been so long since we've talked. Your friendship means so much to you, and I just want you to know something about that transformed my life. And all written in best friend language, uh, really close to us. But with more reading, you, you discover that this new best friend is some unknown realtor that just is... Uh, wanting to troll for clients, or, or he's a lottery peddler that is just uh, promising dreams against overwhelming odds, and no one you, you really know. But on rare occasions, there are those letters, the special letters that come just at the right time. They're saying just, just the thing that you need to hear. They, they're speaking just the right hope. They don't have a gadget to sell. They don't have a, a gimmick to present. They're just letters of encouragement, letters of truth, letters that we need to understand. They're penned with, with love and concern, just like the ones that we read from Paul today, because the letter he writes is so imperative that he said, this isn't truth that you're just to take and put somewhere. This is truth that actually is intended to transform your life. It's a letter that Paul deems so important that he says, when you get it, read it to everybody in Thessalonica. And he's not writing from some sort of ivory tower where he's sort of protected from life because he's recently come from Philippi. And in Philippi, he has known what it means to be beaten and unjustly prosecuted, to be confined in stocks and cast into an inescapable prison. He knows that what he's talking about is something that is profound. And when God finally orchestrates his release, when he destroys the prison and the shackles, it would have been understanding, understandable if, if Paul just said, okay, I'm, I'm just heading home. I, I, I've, I've been through enough. I've understood enough. But instead, Paul because his destination is being Thessalonica, the city that we just read about. It's an influential Greek city, a city of power. It's a larger stage and, a, and a, has brighter spotlights. This is a place of prominence. Thessalonica's ties to Rome were strong. Her beauty was well known, and it actually was, more importantly, it was the gateway into Europe. It was the trade center heading into Europe. And amongst that city... Emperor worship was, was center stage, as was the worship of Roman gods and Greek gods and Egyptian gods. And chief among them was Diana, the goddess of fertility and sexuality. And so the, the part and the persona of Thessalonica was this. It was just pleasure and abundance. Just, just indulge whatever you wanted to do. And given the persecution that Paul had just received... You, you could have expected him that he would just come into Thessalonica and he would be less vocal, less visible, less, less bold. Oh, he wouldn't shriek from tell, shrink from telling them about, about the Lord. He would do that. But if they wanted to continue worshiping their stones and their idols, so be it. 
But as we know about Paul, timidity wasn't part of his character. He, he was someone that wouldn't retreat. But as Paul came to Thessalonica, his ministry was a different boldness than what was true of the culture of Thessalonica. He didn't seek a platform. He, he didn't seek to sway people with his oratory. He, he didn't want to convince people of something. He didn't use fiery speech. Instead, what he presents is authenticity. And we're told that as he's in with the Thessalonians, he says he lives amongst them in humility and servanthood. This is a man of prominence by what he is serving the Lord. But it said, no, I'm actually going to be your servant. I'm going to be humble amongst you. And while we understand that while he is first received well by the city, in time, opposition would soon rise up, and there would be persecution that would come that would be intense. We're told that throughout, throughout later in, in 2 Thessalonians. And so he would have to flee the city. He would have to get out of there. But while he flees, while he doesn't spend the time that he would love to spend in the city, his impact is significant. So what has he written? Why was it important to them, and far more importantly, why is it important to us today? What does Paul want us to know? And I want to say, and first that it says, that what he presents and what he is going to put before us, it will change everything about our identity. That if we fully capture what he's talking about, that our whole identity will change. And he begins in a place that we just often will pass by. He uses the word and he says to us, he writes, grace and peace to you. Now, now, when we get the expression grace and peace, that, that, that's a little bit like, at first glance, it's sort of like our, well, how are you doing? <laughs> what's going on? What's, what's life? It, it's an icebreaker. It's just a connection point. It, it's just trying to, to connect with those you come in contact with. Uh, and in the cases you get that sort of response, well, my back's killing me. My arthritis isn't right. My, my kids are on drugs and, and my uh, best friend just died. That's not the response we are asking, how are you doing? And sometimes we look at great, uh, Paul's comment about grace and peace, and it was a customary greeting. But for Paul, it was anything but customary. Because grace and peace to Paul come from an intensely deep place. Because grace and peace changed his life. Before, Paul was a judging, condemning man who went and persecuted Christians. And grace and peace, that was a long ways away from his life. He, he didn't know what grace, living in grace was about. He lived in law. He lived in, in going after and, and adhering to, to what should be done. Until grace met him on the Damascus road. Until grace came upon him. And all of a sudden his identity was changed. Because grace came to him and they placed him in God and more importantly, in Christ. And when he wasn't looking for it, grace just was poured out on him. And as Paul would discover, the closer he stayed to grace, the more his identity changed, the more his life was being transformed. 
change to see what he could never have imagined seeing. And here's the challenge sometimes as we as Christians. We have tasted grace. We entered in when we came to faith in Christ. We tasted grace. And now we use it as a doctrine. We can spout the words grace. But we don't fully embrace and dive into grace. And understanding the great love of God. That said, I lavished my love upon you. I poured it out in abundance that you would know me. And the farther we move from grace, the more insipid our Christian life becomes. The more going through routines, the more coming to church, the more sitting the songs, but it's not having any impact because we don't live in the place of grace. And God says, you want your identity changed? You want to be a transformed person? You want to know life that isn't necessarily going to be perfect, but it will have a sense of you're being held? Then we need to come back to the place of grace. We see it in verse 3 where we're told, we recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying this is, look, you began by faith. Faith got you started. It's the, why you're doing the work you are. It started by faith. And then your labor, your labor, what you do, it's motivated by love. When, when grace full, fully gets a place to land, then you'll understand it's faith at work, which requires you to really deep dive deep into love, and your endurance, it's inspired by hope that there's more ahead, that there's better, there's better coming. It is love and grace and peace. Does it sound like 1 Corinthians 13? That's what Paul is saying. Live in that place, because that's what you've been given by grace. It's a life transformation that we're told in verse 8. It says, the word of the Lord it rang out from you. Everyone out there is talking about it. Everyone is seeing it because they see a life in every place your faith in God has gone out. It, it's broadcast. It is out there for people to see. All possible when he met grace, or better that yet, that grace met him. It's a grace that cherished people, not performance that understood that grace could be understood in the embrace of God's love, not in some rule-driven pursuit of God that Paul had done before. (laughs) And when Paul found that, he said, I've got peace. I I, I live in peace. I understand it as a peace that drove me before, but not now. It was peace that was received, not manufactured. We walk through times right now of COVID and uncertainty, and yeah, we're getting our injections and vaccine, and we're starting to feel better, but, but it's the place where, where life is uncertain. Peace when suffering and opposition come. Peace when life tosses out of control. Peace in God and in Christ when we live close to grace, where God transforms. Now. Yeah. Transform doesn't mean living perfect. It, it doesn't mean having smiling faces pasted over broken lives and broken hearts. It means 
that we understand what it means that God says, I give you love and faith and hope in me. I'd be kidding you and kidding me if I were to say that I always live in that place of grace. I'd love to be able to tell you I do, but, but there are things that come into our lives where the storms seem too great and the, and the problems seem too much, and my faith is just too small. When relationships become frayed or finances go beyond repair or COVID has questions bigger than answers, and Grace's reminder is this, be anxious. In nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct our paths. Not, not, not faith in the vaccine, as good as that may be. Not faith in a full bank account, as nice as that may be. But faith in where the Lord takes us. But grace and peace only make sense if we capture this. He's chosen you. God, in his own unique way, has chosen you. And if we don't get this right, then nothing about our lives will be right. Because the gospel of God's good news is all about God's choosing. It's about him choosing you. I don't know. I, some of you can identify remembering in school when you, you picked the teams and there was the lineup of people alongside the, the gym outside wall. And, and the most athletically gifted or the most favored and the most popular, they were picked first. And slowly but surely afterwards, the ones that eh, not so gifted, not so wanted, they would ultimately be thrown in rather grudgingly add-ons. But when God chooses, there is no right field. There is no back row. There is no last place. Because chosen in Him means that my value is in Him. My purpose is in Him. My destiny is in Him. My security is his choice of me, not my choice of him. Uh, We need to make a choice for him. But my security is that God chose me, that he loves me that much, that he knows me that much. The psalmist tells us this. He says, he saw, God saw my unformed substance, and he knows that my days were written in his book, when as yet there was none of them, before I was made known. Before I was conceived, God had already conceived me. He knows me when I stand up and sit down. Later it says, I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you were there. If I go down to the grave, you were there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. The part being is you're not running from God to get away from God. The part, the uh, thing that's being spoken there is God loves you wherever you are. Whether you're following uh, or whether you're going away, he comes after you. He comes looking for you. He knows you. They're not words of escape. They're words of loving care. Before the Lord formed you in the womb, 
He knew you. God chose you. And what that means is this. Chosen people are to see God differently. That, that God is not the creator God. He is your father and God. He, he's not distant. Maybe one day I'll see him. But he's dis- differently personal. He, he's not the savior of the world. He is my savior. And, and this this Savior knows my sins and He knows my flaws, my failures and my missteps. He knows all about that. And yet, knowing that, He calls me His child, which just changes everything. Again, John says, Oh, what manner of love that the Father lashed, lavished upon me that we might be called the children of God. And so we need to fully grasp the sense of a transformed identity is knowing that we are chosen. But let's be clear. Chosen doesn't mean that we are giving a pass on making a decision for Christ. That decision is ours alone to make. And it will determine where we spend eternity. Forever with the Lord or forever away from the Lord in judgment in hell. So that's a crucial question. That what do you do with the Christ? The one who says he died for you, that you may be forgiven and made his child. But for we who are believers, the the choice doesn't just settle eternity. It determines how we live that out now. See, there's a lot of Christians that say, I made this choice. And you see very little difference about actually how their lives are lived. Because being chosen of God needs to transform not just our identity, it needs to transform our attitude. Because chosen people are to see ourselves differently. Because seeing God differently must mean that I have to see myself differently. If we really believe that God knew us before we were born, he formed us, he created us, he he searched out after us, he chose us, if we really believe, then he must change the way we act, the way we live. We've got the choice to whether we're going to allow him to transform our lives, but his choice, he's calling us, it is to change our attitude. As recipients of grace and peace, we have been given the power to live differently. We have been given the power not to live in bondage, not to be a victim to sin, not to just be belly up and sort of, well, I can't do a thing about this. This, this is just the way my personality is or the way I deal with this issue. No, no, not true. He says, I change your attitude and I will change your actions. Not to talk belief, but to live belief. Faith that is real, faith that is demonstrated, responding is how Christ would have us respond. People who faithfully act as a loved people who faithfully believe. It's not faith that's put on how we're supposed to act, what Christians are supposed to do, but it's faith that's lived out because of the hope that's ours. That this God chose us and we're going to live with him one day. And when we fail... 
and don't do that, and we sin, and we will. Grace calls us, run back to me because I forgive. Don't run away, run to me, receive forgiveness, and then be givers of forgiveness. Because as receivers of grace and peace, we are now to live that out. We are to be parents that as life gets tangled and frayed, that we're to live out, that we live by faith and hope and peace. We are to be husbands and wives as yet again one of them fails, one of them uh, fails to deliver as promised. That I will forgive and, and get back to grace. As, as a boss to an employer to messed up the account or as an employee to the boss when his demands are unreasonable. To live Christ in that place. Givers of grace and peace. Because God's grace and peace are to splash, intended to splash around on others around us. They are not a reserve that we keep, but they are to splash out so others can see the reality of Christ. What that means is this. It means that we've got the choice to uproot that behavior of cynicism and critique of judgment upon others. It means to release the hold that we cling to of the past, the past offense that's been done to us. It means taking our proud pride and, and bowing to his lordship. It must change us if we move close to grace. But not must because of this is now something I have to do, but because grace will transform us the closer we keep close to Christ. Because in truth, Christians should be the most likable, the most affirming, the most joy-filled people around. And if we're not, it's because we really haven't grasped what it means to be chosen by God's grace. And how is that seen? Well, practically, Paul is, Paul is very clear. Let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth. But only such a word is as good for building up, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. See, Paul's standard is way bigger than saying the things you don't do. Paul's standard is, is far stronger. He's saying, are you a grace giver to others around you? Do you speak to other people things that will build them up? Do you speak things that will encourage one another? Do you actually live out the good things that the Spirit of God wants to put in. And we can't avoid it because Scripture is filled with one another's. Our perspective is to be other-centered, not ourselves-centered. We're told, and these are just a few of them, we are to be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We are to seek good for one another. We're to, not to complain against one another. We're not to bite, devour, and consume one another. We're not to challenge or envy one another. These are things that are put off, and it means, how do you do the opposite to build in? The list goes on. So, being chosen and understanding grace means yeah, our identity has been changed. God has done that. The question is how much we're continuing to allow him to transform us. Uh, how has our attitude changed? And then thirdly, it says, being chosen by grace transforms our actions. Because chosen people are to see others differently. 
there to see others differently, which means what Paul says, I've learned to be grateful. I've learned to be thankful. And gratitude is, a, is an attitude that Paul will come back to again and again. He will say in verse 2, thanks be to God for all of you. And I'm sure in the Thessalonian church there were some that sort of like, <laughs> these people are driving me crazy. But he said, no, he doesn't say that. He doesn't qualify it. He says, I thank God for all of you. I have a perspective that I'm not going to dwell on the offense. I'm not going to dwell on the ones that have done me wrong. I am going to be thankful for all of you. It's an action he changed because his attitude, this, this isn't sort of warm, fuzzy Christianity. Listen, changing how we act isn't an easy choice to make. But it is a choice that we are called to make. I once worked with a group of co-workers who used to sit together. They would gather themselves every day. They'd sit around coffee time. And they would sit there and critique and complain and judge and do everything else. And they were great at recruiting. They wanted to recruit different people into negativity. And so their, their number would, would gain. And the reality of it is those that were positive and, and doing the, the good stuff, they were out there doing their things. They were individuals. And the problem was is the individuals never gathered together, so they had no strength together as a group. And the Senate group, what I used to call the Senate cluster, it would gather and it would infect the whole workplace because they wanted to share their stories of where things weren't good and the challenges of a church can be very much the same. But Christ says you are to be different people. You are to live. Yes, you will feel hurt. Yes, you will be uh, wounded by others where injury has been done. But Paul says be thankful, not resentful. That's how chosen people, your identity has been changed. You're chosen your, your attitude is to be changed because you're chosen. Your actions are to be changed because you're chosen. And as I was working through this, uh, uh, this passage a number of years ago, a man came to mind, a, a Christian that I worked with, and he was difficult. He, 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 did not, he did not demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit in very many ways that I could see, and he caused me a whole lot of grief. And I had reason. I had reason to take offense to this man. But God convicted me that I can't go there. That despite the things that were true, I needed to reorient my perspective and see the good things of, that he had done. And so convicted of that, I actually was able to sit back and, and write him a short note just thanking for some of the positive things I had seen him do in his life and the impact he had had in his life. I'll be honest... The writing initially was more head than heart, but it was something that, that God worked in me that if I really am serious about being a chosen child of God, then my actions have to be different, and that God will change my heart within it. I wrote him the letter because I knew it was something God had called me to do, but he also called me to do something else. He called me to say, do you understand that you and I live not in the presence of one another? We, we don't live in the presence 
of the ones that like us or don't like us or do us wrong or do us right. We live in the presence of our God and Father. That all our actions are standing in the presence of Him. That He, God, is the one that wants to pour His grace out into my life so I may extend that and pour it out into others. And the one thing that Paul says in this that we haven't dwelt on, he says, I pray for you continually. I pray for the ones that have done you hurt. It's really hard to hold on to offense when you are praying for someone. Changed identity. Chosen people who have experienced God's grace. So as we're told in verse 8, the word of the Lord will sound forth. Parents, if you want your children to see that this faith you talked about is real, then start living it out in front of them to see that a chosen person understands what it means that I'm going to be demonstrating hope and love and faith to others, that I'm going to not share the comment that condemns and cuts down that the waterfall of God's grace will pour out. That there will be a waterfall so the trumpet of God will sound forth loud, loud, loud and clear so that his purpose for us be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. By my power, no. But the power of the Holy Spirit that God says I've placed in your life that you can live my life in you. Let's pray. So, Lord, we, we know that the things we talk about here, a lot of them, they, we, we can make resolutions, we can determine to be better, but, Lord, we, we know that the change ultimately comes from you. So we thank you, Lord, that above all, that you have chosen us, that we may be people that live in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for this church, for these people, for ourselves, that the word of the Lord will trumpet forth that you are real and that you want to save and rescue those in our neighborhood, those in our families, those that look on. And we pray that in the name of Christ. Amen.